This is a HeadGum Podcast. It's that episode, not that episode. It's that episode. With Craig Rowe. Welcome to It's That Episode, the podcast where I, Craig Rohn, invite a guest over to my apartment. We watch any TV show that they choose. We watch it. We talk about it. We talk about a bunch of other crap today. My guest is my friend and hilarious man, Mr. Mitch McGee. Hello. How are you, Mitch? I'm good. I'm well. Um, how are you for real? I am tired and anxious. Okay. <laughs> are you anxious because of the podcast? No. Uh, I'm just anxious throughout life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, aren't we all? I think so. I don't know. Uh, comedians, I think, are. Yeah, I think that's true. And um, I, you know, became anxious when I was maybe 12 and it just has continued. <laughs> Wait, was there a certain thing at age 12 or was it? I don't know. I just remember dreading everything, you know, at, at around maybe middle school and then it just continued i remember in elementary school on sunday nights dreading school on mondays a lot yeah um i, I would save all of my homework until sunday and then that's when the simpsons was on and and so it was kind of like oh fuck and i want to watch television and now i have to do this whole glut of homework that right. is amassed and it's just a pain in the ass and so what did yeah, you do i just you know i um, copied off of someone else's oh homework. yeah those were the days now yeah. and today you can't copy off of someone else's work you have to make your own things yeah i mean uh <laughs> right um i mean uh, yeah I, I mean life has you know new and more interesting problems <laughs> yes that's true that's true <laughs> i guess bigger bigger problems yeah yeah, yeah. i mean uh, there's something about the regularity of of at least with college having an environment that was kind of prescribed was kind of nice you know <laughs> and now but, we're just but, let out into the open and it's a little bit harder to figure out what the fuck's going on yeah i mean if i didn't have to make money i think things would be easier <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people <laughs> think that would be it would just be like hey yeah. what what should we do today yeah not racking my brain how do i make those benjamins right like i i, I realized coming out of college what a sheltered and kind of privileged existence i led you know <laughs> and like how uh you know uh, people always say upper middle class but right. if you were to divide it you would probably say upper class right, if your right. parents paid for your college right, and stuff right, like that sure. and so just having that freedom to just dick around for a large period of time right. in my life and then sort of being <clears throat> you know shuttled out into the world and having to kind of oh fuck you know Everything that I like to do makes absolutely no money. Right. But the stuff that you make is great. I'm a big... If people who are listening don't know, Mitch has uh, some hilarious and great works on the internets that are some of my favorite things that exist uh, in the comedy world. Thanks. Including um, uh, your character, Mitchell. Right. Who uh, takes things out of drawers. Yes. In his study. In Welcome to My Study, which I think transitioning to what we're going to watch sort of feels a little bit in the world of what we're going to be watching today. Totally. And but so we're, you decided to watch some Mr. Rogers. Yeah. I mean, my original idea was to watch a mash episode, but All I, right. but I, because I grew up when I was little, just watching mash five times a day, for some reason in my corner of Massachusetts, they played it five times a day. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was four or five times. I think at the at, at its peak, it was five times a day. This was just as Mash was ending, and there was a real 
there was a real There's feeling a real... for in Massachusetts among you know in uh, middle class whites that that we must watch as much mash as get possible. in as much mash as uh, yeah. So I would just as a kid, as a little kid, just watch them after school, and they would just be back to back. So I have them ingrained in my mind. But then I went on the uh, internet, and I thought that they were all on Netflix, but they're not. So now. I decided because it's been the show that I've been watching recently mm-hmm. to watch a Mr. Rogers episode. And you've been watching because you have a child. Yeah, I have not an eight, because you're month. just uh, like no, sitting. Not home just because I'm nostalgic. Although I, I am sort of nostalgic for Mr. Rogers, and I do think it kind of imprinted a certain template for what a show should be uh-huh. on my mind. You know, and it it, it has this pace and this pull to it that is, that really kind of feeds on my reptilian brain, you know, beyond sitcoms, beyond anything else. I think that Mr. Rogers had this enormous influence on what I find captivating or entertaining. Now, so. did you, when you were a kid, how do you, rem- I mean, do you remember actually watching the show? You know, I'm because it's at such a young age, like I remember... I think I wa- I mean I remember watching it, I remember, but I don't remember a lot of specifics. I from remember the show. abandoning the show. I remember I remember that it became very uncool at a certain point and that time was like first grade, you Whoa. know. Or kindergarten. I think that the show is designed for people who are for Pre-K. little kids like two, three, four years old. Because it's really simple ideas and Yeah, maybe talk- five. Uh, yeah, it's simple ideas. The camera work is completely rudimentary and simple. The <laughs> The concepts and how things are introduced are very simplistic and obvious, and and the pace is very slow. And that, I think, for someone who's anxious, is an incredible salve. You know, you just, oh right, <laughs> it's sort of, sort of meditation. Feel, well, yeah, it's sort of pre Bob Ross, um, you know, ASMR kind of goodness for anxious children. Are you are you susceptible to ASMR? I am. I'm one of those people. The, for are people you? who don't know, for people who don't know, that's like how would you explain that? It's a it's a, a kind of numbing, tingling sensation that comes over your starting in your head and kind of coming over your body. Like, but when you hear somebody like sort you, of whispering, when you hear someone, uh, it can come from a number of different triggers, but. The most common one, I think, is sort of a soft, reassuring, monotonous um, voice. That's so bizarre. <laughs> it's such a, it's a... It sounds awesome. Yeah, it feels like... Um, and I'm not a big drug taker, but I remember... And so this is going to sound so lame because it shows just how little uh, a drug taker I am. But when... I had my wisdom teeth taken out. I sort of amassed a supply of Percocet. Okay. And we would just do them recreationally until they would warm more out, you know. I think and, people do that probably. Right. And it it that that kind of numbing, warm, reassuring quality that that you know so <laughs> over the counter or not over the counter prescription opiates lens is a lot like ASMR, this feeling of just how good tingling uh, relaxation and sort of a meditative calm. You know? I wish, I mean, that sounds so great to be able to have that feeling without happened, that aid yeah, of, of uh, narcotics. It happened a lot more for me when I was little and then just slowly went away and now it'd be once in a blue moon. That Do you, happened. have you ever watched those ASMR videos where it's like people being like, Hey, I'm, how are you? I'm going to bed now. I did. I tried to, I tried to get it back by watching number of those videos but they didn't do it well there's something 
I think it ends up mixing with a sexual feeling. That's what I, I, when I've heard those, I feel like there's something weirdly sexual about that. Yeah. And I don't think that that, and maybe this is why it happens more when you're a kid, that if you have a woman who is just kind of being nice and whispering to you and treating you nicely and applying things to your head, I think that you can start to interpret that as her coming on to you, and it sends the wrong message, and so you can't quite feel the it ASMR. Mixes, it, it mixes and and, <laughs> and, and and corrupts and contaminates the normal ASMR you're feelings. A, you're a purist. Exactly. You're an ASMR purist. But then it's funny, because I tried to do it with like the guys doing ASMR and I'm like well this isn't <laughs> that's the I'm same. like that's this awesome. isn't right yeah so I don't know you know gosh well yeah. we need to solve that for you um so we're gonna be watching some Mr. Rogers um now you so you haven't watched I mean you you've been watching this now with your uh son yeah have you re- noticed anything that you had forgotten since childhood or is there anything that sort of jumps out of you about, yeah, I mean, about I, watching I, these episodes I, I I realized that the make-believe part, which should be the most joyous part, is actually the most boring part. Which is like when he goes to his backyard and it's like the, the no, land it's of make-believe? He sits down on a little, um, you know, seat, uh, one of these kind of, um, you know, nooks in, in, in his main room. Okay. And a trolley comes oh, through right. the house and he says, okay, let's pretend now, let's go to the land of make-believe. And he sends the trolley on its way and the trolley then enters into this make-believe land where they have the puppets and they have... And he's not there with the and puppets? And he's not there with the puppets. Mm. And there's some sort of plot that usually picks up from the previous episode. And it's supposed to be this time of, oh, we can finally play and have some fun. But it's actually, right. for, in my mind, the most le- like the least interesting part of the show. And the Is it part- because Mr. Rogers isn't there? No, it just kind of feels like a dick around. And it also... <laughs> feels- <laughs> it also feels as though... <laughs> You know, these pu- the puppets are kind of holdovers from an earlier 1950s time and style right. of puppetry. And the characters are these obnoxious characters, the puppets. Like there's all, a king all, or something like that? There's King Friday the 13th. There is... Whoa, um, that's actually creepy, Friday the 13th. Yeah, he named that puppet because in when he was working as sort of an early childhood develop, uh, educator... He encountered kids that were afraid uh, or were superstitious, and especially of Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, interesting! So he decided. I think that's the story. So to take the power to, away. To take the power away. So that's actually kind of nice. But that's cool. If you look at the puppets, there's Daniel Tiger, who's sort of this anxious, and I guess that's the the puppet that I would most identify. The with. Mitch. This, yeah, this anxious tiger, but not a very compelling character. There's. Um, <laughs> Uh, Lady Elaine Fairchild, who's this kind of evil drunkard, you know, this kind of <laughs> <laughs> like just a real Is brash. She, how do you know she's drunk? You can just sense that she's drunk. She, she doesn't. She has act- these rosacea marks on her nose and cheeks. Okay, you know? gotcha. And she's she calls. <laughs> she has this kind of louche demeanor and this this way of she addresses people as toots and she's aggressive in this sort of Whoa. particular way. I don't know if you remember any of this at all. I but don't. She, I don't. I, she lives in this. Um, thing called a museum go round which is sort of a cross between a museum and a carousel there's a lot of bizarre details throughout the land of make-believe that are disturbing and also the narratives are incoherent and you have people from the real world entering as slightly different characters in the land of make-believe too it's just an odd 
topsy-turvy kind of situation where there's nothing, and there's also nothing compelling about right. it. But, you know, at the beginning of the show, he usually comes in with some kind of object or introduces some kind of theme. Like, we're going to be watching about pets. Exactly. And he'll talk about it, and then they'll often go on a little field trip to observe something about that theme, or they'll see a little film based on that theme. And all of that stuff is kind of gold for me. And then he'll come back from Make Believe and do something else where he kind of, some kind of reassuring kind of teaching lesson for right. kids, uh, and then send you on your way. And all of, all of that stuff, I think, is really the meat of Mr. Rogers. And do you notice what your son likes or dislikes about the show? Does he like the land of Make Believe? Is he like his dad? You know, I think that he likes moving images on a screen. Right. And that he likes trucks and cars and things that go. So when the, the trolley comes up or when you move through the model of the of, That's cool. of the neighborhood, he loves all of that stuff. And I don't think he can really get behind narrative at this point. Right. So just those things that he can identify. And I think he likes the pace of it, too, and that you're showing things to... It's you know, presentational, it's the yeah. presentational thing. I think he likes all of that, but... I was advised by his pediatrician to not show really until he's two years old. So we're kind of just, I'm just feeding him television early Wow. to, but to do things that have this kind of slow pace. Right, right, right. So cause shows nowadays are probably so much quicker and yeah, crazier. A, and I don't know why the Fred Rogers estate allows this, but there's this spinoff show now that PBS does called Daniel Tiger's neighborhood okay that's an animated show and it's very like a modern animated show but it's a a daniel tiger in a fred rogers sweater with all of the friends that oh that's so weird yeah to to the land of make-believe and then it but and it's kind of jarring and feels fast-paced to me in comparison to mr rogers and I think it's kind of awful. The Fred Rogers family must be rolling in that dough. Yeah, I don't know. They got to be rolling in that dough. <laughs> They're rolling in that tiger dough. Yeah, it's funny because you would think that Fred Rogers, or at least in my mind and being, and this was in kind of the 80s, early 80s, where the word gay was just thrown around like right. nobody's business. Right. But you're just like, oh, well, Fred Rogers, that gay, he's gay, he's gay. You know, the kids. <laughs> the ki- that's what the kids would say. <laughs> the kids would say it. And so I just assumed that, but, you know, looking into his private life, he was married with two kids, and I'm a kind of gentle guy. I right. like guys that aren't broish. And it was actually a good template that you could be sort of a sensitive, low-key dude. Oh, yeah. And... um. And be called and be heterosexual and be called gay by every gay middle by schooler in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and have trouble making friends. Um, on that note, why don't we check out this episode, which is uh, let me get it back up. Um, I believe it's called just pets. It's on. I think it talks you, about pets. It, it talks about pets. We're on Netflix. At the beginning of every Mister Rogers nep- uh, episode, there's a number that comes up while the credits roll, and that shows you. The exact episode. Netflix has this best of Mr. Rogers rundown. So only like 20 episodes up. But they're. That's really sad that after 50 years of Mr. Rogers or however many years, the best of is only. They're only 20. Right. (laughs) Because they happened every day, too. This is uh, uh, V1E20 on Netflix called Mr. Rogers Talks About Pets. Let's do it. Okay. Barney and I have had a fine time together. 
fact, he was a very good dog at our house. Yeah. He slept on a little rug in our kitchen. And he seemed so glad to see us when we got up for breakfast. Come here, Barn. Yeah, we've really enjoyed having you. Fine dog. Yeah. He knows the word sit. If you say sit, then he'll do that. Yeah. And you like to shake hands then when you sit, don't you? You know, I've seen some things in my neighborhood that I hadn't even noticed before, just because I took Barney for a long walk. We walked through some alleys and some play parks. Remember that? And we went for a run in a big green field. We had a good walk together. Okie doke. We just watched, uh, and we just found out it was a 1982 episode. I think like it's very, very, very hard to wait. Especially when you're waiting for something very nice. I think it's very, very, very hard to wait. That song was repeated maybe eight times. I think, yeah, that's a pretty modest guess <laughs> but we learned it and it was a good it was a good message first tar- tiger lily or whatever his name is tiger which one daniel tiger daniel tiger no. sang it and then fred rogers sang it right um you know what considering that that was 28 minutes um which is longer than the average half hour television show because right. most of those have commercials so those are 22 right that sort of flew by especially considering that all of the make-believe stuff was sort of infuriating in a way. Yeah. I mean, not all of it, but there were parts that really creeped me out. It's creepy in general, and that was a weird make-believe in that it existed, it took place totally at night. At nighttime. Um, But but overall, the episode sort of flew by, considering how slow-moving and calm it is. It had a nice, like, I didn't feel like I was slogging through it. No, it's interesting how they just tonally you, you sort of establish what the show is pretty early on, and if you can get into that rhythm, you just ride it all the way. Feel through. the rhythm, feel the rhyme. Come on, everybody! It's, it's almost, bobsled time. That's from Cool Cool Runnings. Exactly. <laughs> that's sort of is the that, way. So is that where you got Dog Fleet? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, when we did a show at UCB called Dog Fleet, Mitch directed it, and we stole from Cool Runnings. <laughs> I've never seen Cool Runnings. It's... I feel bad. There was a. Uh, I used to live in Prospect Lefferts Gardens, which is okay. a West Indian neighborhood in Brooklyn, and there was an auto repair shop right next to our building called cool runnings auto repair because it was owned by jamaicans oh i thought you were gonna say it was owned by one of the members of the bobsled (laughs) team so no but what was interesting is i made the mental note that oh okay jamaicans are cool with cool runnings oh (laughs) right 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 or at very least they're like these fucking americans they're just this is the only thing that you know like they're all thinking it yeah they're all thinking why don't we call this auto repair shop cool runnings unless and i didn't see the movie is cool runnings some sort of jamaican expression that could be applied to a lot of different things that might have nothing to do with the movie. I don't remember. I think they do say cool runnings. Uh, I, do, I think that I remember that he's saying okay, the so titular maybe, line, but I don't remember. So then maybe my my conclusion that Jamaicans are cool with the movie cool runnings it might be wrong. It might just be an expression. 
It could be, but I, I don't know. Okay, That's anyway. a great question. Yeah. Um, I feel like this conversation is just teetering on being racist or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did the accent. So uh, I yeah. did definitely. I think it teetered yeah. and totted yeah. completely. Um, but yes, it definitely had. It started like it has a great rhythm to it, and it started. This episode started with Mister um, Rogers entering with a dog named um, something with a B. Buster Barney. Barney. Yeah. And he was looking after it for his friend Bob, and I for I had, I mean I know it's so obvious, but I had sort of forgotten about him taking the shoes off and putting on the sweater and there's something so um just calming and nice about it yeah and there's something also specific about it that i think you can kind of latch on to i think that when people remember mr rogers that's one of the things they remember and it's odd you know like there's something about going into your closet and changing your clothes and footwear at the beginning of a show that stays in at least in my brain as as a ritual that right. is important to the begin to begin the show. That'd be great if every television show started with them taking <laughs> every character well, taking like- their shoes off and putting on a comfortable cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> that would just be such a great way to like start everybody on an even keel, you know what I mean? Because yeah. characters like Kramer always came in so keyed up. Right. If he just came in, but I think a... Kramer busting through the door is his cardigan and sneakers. Right, that that's true. But I'm just saying, come on, let's just change that energy up. I think everybody in life would be a little bit calmer if everybody right. on TV was calm. Well, there's something kind of Japanese about it. Like, yeah. Like, speaking of teetering, am I going to teeter on racism sure, again? Sure, why not? Go like, for it. You know, here we are. We're in the home. We do something different to enter this home space. To sort of set up that this is different from the outside. and Right. And then our behavior changes, our dress changes. Well, I think it's a nice lesson for kids to be like, you're coming in from the outdoors, respect the space a little bit, get comfortable. Right. We're going to, we're settling in. We're going to relax. We're in our den. We're wearing, you know, his mother made every single one of his sweaters. In real life? In real life. That is unbelievable. Yeah. That makes the show that much better. I was also looking at his outfit and I, on a good day, now in California, it's always too warm for this, but I would wear that outfit. I think you would look great in He's that. I feel like you would definitely, you sort of have the same, to me, sort of aesthetic or and same yeah. almost body type as, He's uh, wearing, as uh, Mr. Rogers. Um, you know, very simple navy blue lace-ups, which I think he wore all the time. Which are very similar to the shoes from The Prisoner. <laughs> Very, very. So they, the prisoner were a little bit darker, I think. Yeah, I don't see. I haven't seen. I just oh, thought yeah. I haven't seen. Don't worry about it. Uh, so he's wearing, um, you know, gray flannel plant pants, and he's yeah. wearing a button-down shirt with a collar that has a, a collar pin, which is sort of yes. interesting. And then a, a very simple pattern tie and a cardigan. I would wear that. That would be great. Yeah, I think you could totally pull that off. Looks good. And I wonder where. I mean, man, I I wonder where all those sweaters are if they're in the I know, Rogers one of, estate. One of them is in the Smithsonian. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So. He comes in with a dog, Barney. Right. He's looking after it for Bob. And we sort of realized one of the things that we sort of were discussing, which is this, the house that he is in for every episode of Mr. Rogers is not his house. And I think that... He acknowledges he in, made, in a subtle it, way that it isn't his house. He, he made it clear because he said, this is Barney. 
My, and he also mentions his wife, I think. He says, my wife and I, right, had he, a- he slept on our kitchen rug, right. and he was really happy to see us in the morning. So then he's indicating, I have another house. This is sort of his side house. This maybe is where his second family lives. And he I- could be one of those guys. <laughs> Well, it's funny because, and it's something that I never questioned as a kid, because there's a kitchen, there's a living room, and that's all you see of the house. You see front porch. Right. But I think what... And you see the outside in miniature form uh, right, at the exactly. beginning. Right, exactly. So you assume there are more rooms. But he, the, the thing that sort of clinches it for me that it is not his home is that he enters... Yes. Mm-hmm. And then... He puts back on his street cl- his his suit and he exits at the end. Right. Yeah. So he's like he enters, gets comfortable, hangs out with the neighbors, you know, via television for thirty minutes, puts on his street clothes and gets the hell out of there. Right. So, so what is that house doing the other 20, 23 hours of the so, day? So what's interesting is that it's an artificial house, right? Which is kind of make believe, and within that artificial house right. is another portal to make well that here's the even further to prove the that theory is when he's sitting on his um bench and the train to make believe passes him he says okay now go to the land of make believe the trolley goes as you just said and it goes outside right at the end of the episode when it pants so so we know that that trolley is the indicator for the land of make believe right because and and then we see it in the land of make believe when we pan out at the end of the episode and we see the whole neighborhood, the trolley goes through the neighborhood. Right. Yeah. So what does that all mean? So what does it mean? It's kind of like the inception of children's this shows. This is really freaking me out right now. Yeah. I don't. It would be interesting to sort of try to map that somehow. Like, I think it is a little bit deeper than we would expect because... Where is like also it's a, it's a miniature. They're not hiding that the tent neighborhood is a miniature. No, I think I always imagined, or at least as an adult, I I imagined it like, well, this is a stand-in for the overhead shot. Right. Exactly. Sure. Like right. uh, like Tim Burton does. In, right. Exactly. Uh, in, in Beetlejuice. In Beetlejuice. And so, you know, you can infer that this is all these buildings would take place in reality. Were we to have a helicopter, right? Know? Exactly, but but then at the same time, like then another thing that just shows how weird this warped reality is is that he's talking about the dog Barney. The camera pans into Barney's face, dissolves. Right. <laughs> the camera it, dissolves, and, and, and then we see a whole montage of Fred Rogers and the dog walking through the neighborhood, saying bye, just to little nice jazz piano. Well, and, you know, and this is sort of a trope of Mr. Rogers that at the beginning of each episode, there'll be often one of these remotes where you'll follow Fred on his with journey. No, with no talking? Because there was no talking on this no, one. No, this is a little unusual. This one, there was no talking or anything because maybe it was the thoughts it, of the dog. The voice of the dog. And you, you go into the dog's, you, you're zooming into the dog's face. <laughs> that shot slowly dissolves into this remote of Fred Rogers walking with the dog. And... It's a pretty kind of avant-garde, slowly paced film. And you even you even said that there was a pointed out that there was a POV shot right in there, which must have been from the dog's point of view. And it was looking at a woman, and the dog, the woman waved at the dog. 
Yeah, I'd have to watch it again because there was a lot of different little camera things that happened. Sometimes it would follow people. Sometimes it would follow Fred. Then at another point, it just starts filming flowers dissolving into dissolving into flowers. There was a crane shot of them walking right down at the very beginning, and and there were just a couple shots of uh, garage doors. Right this kind of just abstract pattern moment. It was actually kind of an interesting little Yeah, movie. it was. It was, And and as we were watching it, like I was fully engaged the entire time. I mean, it must have been what, like a two minute piece, something like that, two, yeah. two and a half minutes. Yeah. No dialogue, nope. all all piano music, two pe- a dog and a person walking and I was engaged. Yeah, I would see an entire show like that. I that- mean, maybe not just the dog, but I would see five <laughs> short films stacked together. Yeah. Like I feel that. like it's very, um, I mean, much slower, but sort of like early Jim Henson-y type stuff too. Like, uh, you know, just like yeah. short films that are just sort of colors. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the movies that um, Bob and Ray Eames did. Probably not, but they were furniture designers and designers. I know the name text. Eames. Yeah, the Eames chair. And right. Well, they did little short movies, and so they did Powers of Ten. If you've ever seen that, that's probably their most famous Maybe one. Maybe that's Where the familiar. camera zooms out from a picnic on on the park in Chicago, and anyway, keep through powers of ten, it keeps getting larger and larger and larger. But they also did these short films that were very kind of, you know, let's look at tops, you know, and they would just spin tops mm. over and over again in different or toys of different types or leaves flowing through the water, and they're very hypnotic and good and kind of smart little films. That sounds great. Fantastic. And this kind of reminded me. I have to, uh, I've had the Eames documentary on my Netflix queue for oh, yeah. years and I still haven't watched I it. I think I'm, I've seen it. It's worth seeing. I need to watch it. Yeah. I need to finally That's, watch it. Ray was a woman, so it was a married couple, Bob and, and Ray. I think the guy's name was Bob. And Bob and Ray is also a comedy exactly. duo. <laughs> so I might be confusing them with that. It's definitely Charles and Ray, Charles and Ray. I was thinking of Bob and Ray, the comedy duo. Right. But it's Charles and Ray. That's so stupid, yo. But at the end of the montage, it zooms back out from the dog's brain. So it's just this weird sort of meshing of reality what's real what's you know whose point of view are we seeing the show through it's just it's a little more interesting than you would have uh, i would have expected i don't know yeah. if it's purposeful but it also had the texture of film in a, in a way that was totally yeah. different than than the stuff in the house which, yes so it's just you're in a kind of totally different visual vibe and landscape i wonder does because i remember um uh, Sesame Street would do films like that too. Yeah, they. I, w- I wonder if does Sesame Street still do that stuff? No, like, Sesame Street's a totally different because I've watched Sesame Street with my son too. It's a totally different animal now. Well, now I know it's a. I mean, they always did parodies, but is it a lot more parodies? It's like no, a lot of celebrities more, and parodies. It, it's actually there are celebrities and a lot of kind of, but it's a lot more of just one sort of storyline going through and a lot less quicker kind of commercial break type moments that they used to have in, in Sesame Street. Right, because I remember a lot of them would be like uh, like animations of like numbers and stuff exactly. like that and just cool things that didn't have anything to do with the monsters and Yeah, there's Muppets. a really interesting Sesame Street thing that Philip Glass did in like the 70s that's worth looking at on Whoa. YouTube. It'll It's just a series of shapes kind of forming and transforming like oct- I vaguely remember that, it's like, yeah. Like Philip Glass music yeah. as these colored shapes emerge in and out of each other. And that's why it's completely trippy and avant-garde. And it was, I guess, intended for children. That's awesome. Um, but I wonder how that, like, effect, you know, like, 
How did that weird? How does that weird avant-garde stuff affect kids? You know what I mean? I feel like we must have enjoyed it. Maybe I think it affected me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the difference between Daniel Tiger, the show that's on now, and, and Mr. Rogers. Did you say you said? Were you on, were we on mic when you were talking about the sequel to Daniel Rhea? I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like now there's less like just weirdness that right. for the sake of like oh here's a cool visual artist or you know here's a interesting yeah and i also feel like it was a way of giving their avant-garde friends jobs right you know like you went to film school and you make these weird things right you know, like, maybe you can do something like that for my kids show and i feel like no one was what no one was testing it yeah know? yeah yeah and so they would just put it on I, that's my I, I, my fantasy at least yeah that it would be like philip class you look like you need a job right. you know you haven't eaten in weeks. right so just make some weird thing with your music and we'll just put it on sesame street you know uh yeah the, I, I i i now it's just a it's a big machine it's yeah. just a machine well i i will say and this is uh, you know, maybe maybe kids, I'm sure, love Daniel Tiger far more than they would like, you know, Mr. Rogers. Right. But I will say that it feels like a product a lot more than what we just watched. Right. You know? Well, I wonder how, I mean, this Mr. Rogers was very deliberate in the lessons that it was teaching, too. I mean, yeah. I, I wonder, I have no idea of the Daniel Tiger, if it's that I educational. I think it is that. I think it's oh, yeah. supposed to be teaching lessons. Okay. Because this one was like... Um, what were some of the lessons like asking for help, asking for help? Um, that was one, there was one about putting things, just putting things away. That was one waiting, obviously just waiting and like just being comfortable with waiting. And then at the end, of course, um, everybody's different, but we all want love, which I guess he says at the end of every episode. No, that was a little bit special. He does say at the end of every episode, there's only one person in the world. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> I should be able to get it right, though, seeing that he says it. There's no one else in the world like you, and I like you just the way you are. Aww. Yeah. Um, you, or, you know, you make me some something like you make this day every day special just by just by being you. It's so weird. Like, like you were saying about, like, in the 80s, uh, you know, like people calling him gay or whatever. But, like, with, on that same with that same idea, it's like, could a show nowadays of just like a middle-aged to elderly man like talking to camera for a half an hour like it's nowadays the concept of that just feels creepy like the yeah. the idea of a man talking to children seems dangerous and creepy or just weird right? I think it I think it probably to a large swath of America felt weird at the time Really? I think so. I think that But I think because I he think, started in the, when did he start in the 60s or something? Yeah. I feel like that he grew, that people grew up with him that it, it sort of normalized. Yeah, and I also feel as though PBS had a bit of a, a of a, a mission to educate that went against commercial television in mm -hmm. a way that made some of that stuff seem plausible and possible, you right. know. I think that I know he came out of a sort of child education, early childhood education background. Right. And I think that there was sort of a progressive proto hippie kind of um, philosophy that sort of fed into what he was trying to do. And so 
there was something about what he, how he did things and how he instructed kids that felt like it was at the vanguard of a kind of movement and that right. was acceptable on PBS. Yeah. And so maybe they let it slide. It is weird, though, that this man. Yeah. A grown man. A grown man by himself in a house. Right. Uh, talking to toddlers. Yeah. Is perfectly in in a kind of reassuring and gentle way in a very gentle hypnotic right very like there were moments where when he was singing by himself where the camera slowly zoomed into him where it was like it was a little bit hypnotic well i think it's also kind of good that as a person that looks after his little son like you have absolutely no as an adult and being, you know, like I'm surrounded by mommies all the time. Right. There's very few like stay at home dads and you feel like a loser, you know. Often. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, honestly. And so like being like, oh, what is the model? I don't know if it's Mr. Rogers, but what is the model of being a nice person to right. this little, to your son? Right. And what does that look and feel like? Is that acceptable? It's nice that you, that at least my mind can kind of go back to Mr. Rogers and be like, oh, all right, you know, I can be this gentle guy. No, he's a, he's a great uh, role model, I'd yeah. say. He definitely, like, I'm saying nowadays he would seem, like, you walking your kid around, you're a creep, obviously. Right. You've stolen, it seems like you've stolen a child and you're calmly walking him. But in reality, you're a good dude. Right. But everybody who passes you thinks, what a loser, what a creep, what a creep, what a, creep what a loser, show. what a fucking asshole. <laughs> what a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. They're either thinking one of two things. They're thinking, what a fucking loser. Why can't this guy get a fucking decent writing job? Or, uh, you know, or this is a child molester. <laughs> Where did he steal his baby yeah, from? we should stop him. <laughs> But it's LA and no one walks around, so they're usually seeing me, you and, know, driving past me. And so that's why time. you just hear all the honks. <laughs> that's why you're just and, constantly being and, honked. And really, I, I would just say my main my, my main worry is just please stop the honks. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> because, just loud because it's so loud that my kid reacts to it by crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that makes it look even more like you stole a kid. When he's crying at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and let's face it, I did steal him. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> so, definitely stole him. What, uh, what were we talking about? Mr. Rogers. Right. So, <laughs> so um, the thing that I, I was surprised by was how long the make-believe, the land of make-believe thing was. Yeah, that well, seemed like a solid, like... I think it's eight, half the show or, eight or a to third ten, of the show. Yeah, it was like... Yeah. And it was... It creeped... Right, it was creepy, and it reminded me that I think I was sev- sort of severely creeped out by th- that part of the show when I was a kid because the um, what's the the character uh, the Lady that, Elaine, Lady Elaine, who uh, basically the storyline for this episode was that uh, Anna Platypus, which is a little girl, was going to have a birthday party, and people are preparing for her birthday. That was sort of part of it, and she had was singing a lullaby, and then. Uh, Lady Elaine was calling uh, for a parade for the birthday was calling using a Rolodex to call yeah, for like a can for a phone or something right yeah to rent in a whale and some apes for a parade but the the puppet of Lady Elaine is really creepy like it, what are the what are those old puppets that would beat each other on the head Punch and Judy Punch and Judy yeah. it was like a Punch and Judy style style puppet, puppet. 
as you said, with the rosacea, with the pink thing, and it's voiced, as you pointed out, by Mr. Rogers, and it sort of sound like... The, like yeah, it's, yeah. It's just... Cr- I'll, I'll just do... The, yeah, I can't even do it. Yeah, it's just really creepy. Re- like that fact, cr- was very strange. There's something kind of Mike Myers... You know Halloween about the puppets. Oh, Mike Myers, the from Halloween, not yeah. from, not not from Wayne. No, no, like the well, the fact that they're just these mute. Yes, the mouths don't move on any of the puppets. Right. It gets oh, except a, for um, Anna Platypus. Yeah, a couple of the I think yeah. the puppets they can move the mouths, but most of them their mouths don't move and yeah. their eyes don't move. Obviously, and there's just something Ugh. dead about Daniel them. Tiger looked dead and creepy. Also voiced by Mister Rogers. Right. Um. But but the lady Elaine was like, she has very short cropped hair that looks deranged and like out of place. Yeah, and she is eccentric. She's like a drunk. But know? is it supposed to? Is there some? I mean, there has to be. You know, from a child development point of view, has to be a reason she looks like that, right? Is it to be like even you know w- weird looking people are people too? You know, I think that those puppets date pretty far back when to the 60s when fred rogers was sort of working in other television shows okay. honestly and so i think that they just sprang from his mind i don't know if they're instructive i just feel like it's him fantasizing about characters and they're darker than the rest of the show it's just like, weird the pace of it is like the, yeah. the way they talk is just very strange it just it like it seems like a murder has happened on the in the land of make believe or something. One of the like things that. that I kind of like about the land of make believe is that, or that at least sort of stuck in my brain, is that there are these discrete islands of activity within the land of make believe that you have to walk to and engage. Right. And I guess this is sort of a trope of a lot of kind of sixties television or television that involves puppetry and adults, because I guess you have to hide the puppet. Right. Right. You have to hide them behind big sets. Um, but. There is something kind of interesting about, okay, now we're at the castle, and now we have to walk over to a clock and talk to puppets, and now we have to walk over to a tree and talk to puppets. Right. I, just something about the gestalt of that I yeah. think is really compelling. Um, and, yeah, but I, I make-believe doesn't hold up. And also it's a little bit weird to me, just as somebody who hasn't watched the show a lot, especially recently... Like, what are the people doing there? Do you know what I mean? Like, they're, are they make-believe too? You know, like, yeah. are they character? Do they ever interact with Mr. Rogers, those characters? The people do, yeah. So, there, for example, Joe Negri, who is like, and I don't know if he's a handyman in make-believe end in reality, or if he's just a handyman in the make-believe world, but I think he's a handyman only in make-believe. That's really weird. And then when you get out to reality, he owns a music shop. That's strange. Yeah. The music is interesting on Mr. Rogers. Yeah, it's sort of just, plunky piano and... Yeah, the guy, and this is just looking, because now that I have to watch it, I was just sort of looking into it, and the guy, Johnny Costa, is like a really pretty accomplished jazz pianist. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that makes sense. if you go like and look through at the, the first few episodes of... of um, Mr. Rogers, the music is a lot tighter and a little bit more like a kid's show. And then as the years progress, the music becomes a lot more progressive and kind of wild and much oh, more cool. experimental. So it's just Johnny Costa and his tree, like a, you know, upright bass and a, and a drums playing. And they played live in the studio for each episode. 
They played live they, while they Mr. Rogers was talking and yeah. stuff? They played live while it was going That's on. That's really cool. Yeah, so they introduced that show with the same song. It was. It's different for, from episode to episode. Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty brilliant. Yeah, that's like really progressive too. Like it's that sounds cool, like right. It's like a live stage show. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, they should have shown the trio. See, I think they did. I or I know they did because I looked. I I got, became somewhat obsessed with the music on Mr. Uh-huh. Rogers, and there's an episode which I had never seen that the camera sort of pans out of the stage. And you see behind the curtain. Whoa. <laughs> and you see the musicians. Uh, and they talk about, you know, how they play the music for Mr. Rogers. That's sort of breaking the fourth wall. Definitely. That's really interesting for a kid's show. That's pretty awesome. And I'm sure it just blew kids' minds. They, they must probably have been upset like, them. What? <laughs> and actually, that kind of goes to, back to what we were talking about originally with, like, is this his real house? That episode definitively shows no, it is not. No, it's a set. Right. I guess he really pulled the curtain on that one. <laughs> he Wizard of Oz does. Yeah. And then he said he looked directly to the camera and he said, nothing is real. Nothing is real. This is all a simulation. Right. Watch The Matrix when it comes out years from now. That's right. what he said. Yeah. And then uh, he, he winked and a, in, a, in a purple puff of smoke, he disappeared. And then, um, and then th- that was the end of it. That was the end. And then everybody had, got cookies. Um, so, at, and then, so we're in the land of make-believe and then we come back and, um, don't you think it's weird the way speaking, just going back to make-believe yeah. that the, 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 I don't like it or maybe, maybe I was okay with it as a kid, but I don't like humans talking to puppets. Well, I think especially uh, as you're saying that the mouths don't move and the eyes are dead. The Daniel Tiger talking to the handyman was very creepy um, I like the song, the very, very, very hard to wait. Yeah. I actually I like liked that. it when you, and this is kind of rare too, where you're, and I, I don't like those platypus characters at all. There's a, there's the, the patriarch has a Scottish accent. Oh, and I then, don't remember. Yeah. But they're minor characters, but they zoomed into one of the holes. Right, in the tree. And right. then all of a sudden we're dissolving into the platypus den. And you have... Lady Aberlin talking to the girl platypus, right. Anna platypus, as if she can fit. To she this can fit into that little hole. platypus hole. Yeah, that's... and she's reassuring her before bedtime about something. I kind of actually, that was the weirdest part of the entire show. Was um, Anna platypus sings herself a lullaby, which is already a little bit strange, right. rather than uh, what's her name. Uh, jo- jo- uh, Aberlin. Aberlin singing it. Who, by the way, I looked up Lady Aberlin too. Betty Aberlin. She was an actress and she did all this thing. And I, I think she's cute. Do you think Lady Aberlin is cute? She, I think as a kid I thought she was cute. And uh, she aged, obviously. And uh, she's in a bunch of Kevin Smith movies. Really? Uh, yeah, she's in Red State. And she's also like on Twitter, like a kind of a nut job, not a nut job, but a total lefty ranter on Twitter. Wow, interesting. Yeah, total Bernie, like all the way. Feel the, she's feeling the feeling burn. Feeling the burn, but hardcore, multiple tweets a day. Uh, uh, do you follow her? No, because I don't really do a lot of tweeting. Okay. Yeah. Um, but during what, when, when Anna Platypus was singing, uh, uh, Bernie tweeter, the right, look Aberlin. on her, the look on her face was 
actively confused. Like right, well, she was singing, singing and she had this weird look that was like, why are you singing? Right. What is happening? And then at the end of the song, there was no reason for her to, she didn't make any indication that it was weird. So it just seemed like she was confused about something and they kept it in. It was very bizarre. Right. It was sort of an outtake, but then she says that was beautiful. That was beautiful. But when you, when she's actually singing it, she's, her face is like, what the fuck's going on? What the fuck's on? going on? Stop singing. Stop singing, please. This is uncalled for. This is, this is insane. Yeah. You're a platypus girl. <laughs> I should be singing. That really was very bizarre. Yeah, and the song was this kind of, and I had heard it before, it's from something, this kind of minor key lullaby that was creepy in, on its own. I don't know music very well, but everything seems very minor key yeah. in this whole thing. Is yeah. that is that I, right? I don't, I mean, I think that the opening is not, it's okay. just like, you know, good feeling to know you're alive. Okay. Pretty but it's hit. very, there's something that's not like so up that it's it, it feels like... Um, yes, well, the very hard to wait song is creepy. And it doesn't feel right. And right. It doesn't feel like it resolves itself correctly. I think it's very, 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 very hard, hard to wait. Especially when you're waiting for something very nice. That's the part right. I don't like. I think it's very, very, very hard to wait. Yeah. Like there's something a little bit menacing Yeah. about the music. But... Which is cool. I think that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, There should be a band that just covers uh, Mr. Rogers songs. Like, you know how they're like bands that do like video game songs and stuff like that? Right, exactly. There has to be a band that's done it. Like a death metal band that just does Mr. Rogers shit. I think so, but it would be so gimmicky that I would roll my eyes, you know? Hey, man. Okay. Everybody has to have a gimmick. Everybody needs a hook these days. And they're called Dead Rogers. <laughs> that I like. Okay. Yeah. That's not bad. Not bad. Okay. It's good. Um what else? So what else? Uh, what goes, else happened in the show that we we exit make believe and then we're back. He feeds the fish. Oh, he feeds the fish, which which is a staple of the a show. Staple. I really did remember that. That was like a uh, a very memorable thing for me. Right. He's he, and then the camera very very slowly zooms into his face as he gives a lesson. Right. And the lesson is about... Um, I think that was about waiting. Waiting. Because Daniel Tiger had to wait for... Um, he, he was talking about how Daniel Tiger had to wait for uh, the handyman to get his guitar or something like that. Right. Uh, or something, yeah. And, but also, like, sort of, he, he'd make little lessons in transitions. He'd be like, as he was walking to the fish tank, he would be like... Daniel Tiger made something by himself with the help of someone. Right. So he didn't have to, you know, he was able to ask for help. And that's a good thing. Right, right, right. Like just a little, a little yeah, lesson here and there. Why not? Yeah, Why throw not? It out. I think that's good, actually. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. And then back to the main room, puts on his dress shoes and his, and his suit jacket. Right. Sings his song. Gets the fuck out. Off he goes. Off he goes. See you next time. One of the things that, just to sort of backtrack a little bit, that's interesting is that the episodes are very discrete stories, whereas make-believe is like a soap opera. It doesn't end. It doesn't complete itself. It doesn't have a real story. But it's sort of like, to be continued, we'll pick up where we left off. Right. That's sort of unsatisfying. Well, I think I could have gotten a little more Fred Rogers, and I would have liked to have seen a little more actual pets all we saw was a dog do you know what i mean like right we didn't see a cat we saw i guess we saw fish 
let's see, let's see a snake, let's see a lizard, let's see this, let's see that. You yeah, know what like I mean? what about going off to a pet store? Exact. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, that would have take chop three minutes off of uh, the land of make believe. I think make believe is obviously one of these things that Fred Rogers really let like likes to do. I, I mean, he I, he must because he, he does the voices. He does the voices. He probably was, you know, outlining the plots. It probably is. That was probably the meat for yeah, him. Yeah, for him is like, if we can't do make-believe, fuck it, I'm not going to do the show. Yeah. I, I wonder if he ever got angry on set. Do you know what I mean? Like how, like. The, yeah, like the, he just threw a tantrum. Yeah, like I wish there was, I mean, it would sort of ruin things, but you know, like the Casey Kasem, like freak out. Right, right, right. Like I would love there to be a Fred <laughs> Rogers, like, what the fuck am I dealing with here? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so yeah. great. He had to have gotten angry before. I'm sure in life he's gotten angry, yeah. He has to have. I wonder. Yeah, on set, though? I Everyone says that he was as genuine or the same person on and off set. But that would be creepy to kind of interact with a human, adult human. Who, who talks that. so slow. And, right. And you were pointing out his, his very specific Pittsburgh accent. Yeah. It's yeah. a great voice. It is. And there's that, that accent, I think, is hypnotic or weird yeah. it's weird enough like everything is just one step removed from actual life and the accent is that for me that i'm like oh, okay what is this strange thing you can kind of hook onto the specifics like the shoes and stuff and how long was the show this show lasted until when i think it ended in 2000 something yeah is it was fairly, that is he, lasted that long I, I definitely should know this and i think the answer is yes but he's dead right yes he's dead yeah um and he lived a life. Um, Craig is looking it up I'm on looking his it phone. Up. Oh, boy. That is a meaty case you've got there. It, it houses my credit cards. Okay. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the last episode, let's see. Whoops, Fred. 1968 no. to oh. 2001. Yeah. And let's see, when did he die? Just the way Kubrick intended it to be. <laughs> And he died in 2003. So he went until the end, pretty much. Yeah. Um, he was initially educated to be a minister. Yes, I knew that. And he was displeased with the way television addressed children and made an effort to change this when he began to write for and perform on local Pittsburgh area shows dedicated to youth. He received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, some 40 honorary degrees, and a Peabody Award. He's inducted the Hall of, Television Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame. For what reason? No. And, <laughs> and ranked number 35 among TV Guys' 50 Greatest TV Stars of all time. I don't know why I bought that. It shows how little I pay attention to baseball. I'm like, really? What? <laughs> was he a bat boy? Um, what did he do? He was a, yeah, he was a bat boy. <laughs> a very for, famous bat boy. He was the, when, when Babe Ruth pointed to the outfield, he was pointing at Fred Rogers. <laughs> Several buildings and artworks in Pennsylvania are dedicated to his memory. They won't let Pete Rose in, but they'll let Fred Rogers in, for God's sakes. Yep, you're right. Smithsonian Institution displays one of his trademark sweaters as a treasure of American history. Wow. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yep. This is a good man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so, but don't you sort of want there to be... I wouldn't like to hang out with him, but he seems like a good... like. Genuine. Why wouldn't you want to hang with him? I think he would be boring. Boring guy. For an adult. For an adult. But you'd want to leave him with your your kids. He'd be a great yes. babysitter. I guess so. 
obviously, but it still seems weird to leave some like kids with a man. Jay, guys, just because I said my phone has credit cards in it, don't steal my phone. <laughs> Did I give away too much information about my phone? I could give away your credit card numbers. Guys, 218-66-441-221-88-69-69-69. What's the code on the back? 48. I think it's three numbers. One. Okay. And the expiration date? Four. Fine. And then we need a... a, a 21. Year. Okay. Great. 1983. Dude. <laughs> so many hard copies of Hustler magazine. I'm going to buy with that credit card. <laughs> you mean vintage copies? <laughs> I guess. On eBay. Um, if you had to come up with a drinking game for uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood... Mm-hmm. What would be good times to drink? I think whenever a lesson is it, or is that too is that too hard to to even gauge? I think when, whenever he whenever he addresses the camera, with when, the, the, the neighbor, I think would be an okay. Okay, to, like you. What do you think? I, I wasn't prepared for such a question. <laughs> I, I, it would be nice to have different drinks for different moments of that the show. would be interesting. Well, I think. Um, anytime, anytime he says, like, asks a question of the audience mm-hmm. is a good time. That would be great. Um, anytime he said, I don't know. Does he say the word neat? I feel like that's like a word that I feel like that there might be like a trigger word that he should say or something. Like yeah. That. Is I mean, there something that you found that he says a lot? I, I feel as though he's always asking people, do you ever X. Oh yeah, did, did yeah, that, that's a great yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, like he, yeah, in this one he was like, "Do you ever think about what you want for your birthday?" Right, or something like right. that. Yeah, and you're like, and you're like, yeah, of course I do all yeah, the time. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, motherfucking human being? <laughs> Duh. Jesus Christ! What else did I fucking go back to your fucking trolley? <laughs> yeah, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> You're not. You're not here to ask questions. You're, you're here to entertain me with your magical land of make Do your freaking job. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Put your fucking sweater on. Get in there. Go home. And go to the through. baseball hall of fame. Yeah. Um. What What would be a good drink? I'd feel like something in like a fishbowl, like you know, like a big drink because of the fish because of the fish tank. Oh, okay. Like a big punch. Or like something. a big punch. Yeah, like a big. You know, like they used to have in the fifties a milk punch. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like it would just milk with a bunch of alcohol, kind of like oh, that like good. runny yeah. eggnog, and you just drink. Oh. Or, or um, just like scotch, because you know the way that he like comes home for it seems like at the beginning he's yeah. like coming home from work. You There's know what I mean? Definitely kind of a Bing Crosby element to those. Yes. Cardigans. Yeah. 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 And it's just relaxing. But he's relaxing in, in what the casual wear of the 1950s would have yeah. been. Yeah. Um, but I like that he never really changed, you know? In 2001, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if he like ever did like a hip-hop thing. He did seem to say far out in the voice of Daniel Oh, he said, he said right on. Right on, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if he ever said like, let's get jiggy with it. No. I doubt it. I hope it was so. Also, it ended in two thousand one. When did when that was ninety seven, baby? Getting jiggy with it was ninety seven. Yeah, baby, get with it. <sighs> You're you got to get jiggy with it. That was ninety seven. Yeah. yeah. Why was I thinking it was later? I guess because I I say it to this day. Because you say it so much that it's <laughs> blended every year together. Me, it seems so timeless. Um, well, I thank you so much for watching Mister Rogers' Neighborhood with me. Is there anything that you'd like? 
to either plug or just use this opportunity to say anything to the the audience, the throngs of people that are hanging on every word? Um, you know, I you know, let's see, what am I doing these days? I've got a um, a short that I just recently completed with Jocelyn DeBoer and Don Luby that should be very good and hopefully we'll make it to festivals and you know get me more work uh and uh you know i'd like to make a shout out to los phyllis where i will be walking around right you uh, can honk a lot and uh you know drinking water and uh hiking in griffith park occasionally where do you hike i hike uh well i live sort of off of hillhurst so i just keep going up hillhurst just do it yeah and then sometimes i'll go by trails and hike those nice yeah so you can just if you're driving around just honk it yeah just honk. honk and like we can pull over and we can have a snack together do you bring your own snacks or should the person bring snacks no i think it would be at trails probably you know do you know trails no i don't oh i've heard of it maybe it's like a little snack shop at the foot of uh you know griffith park that's a they must do great business great business the food is pretty good actually what do you get pies i get the pies i get the scones i get the quiche occasionally that's not what i'd expect right at the trailhead right 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 yeah it's kind of a place where you get coffee and hang out before like on the weekend that sounds great yeah it's fantastic why don't we go all right all right let's do it well thanks so much mitch thank you craig have a great beautiful day in the neighborhood Till then, I hope you're feeling happy. Till then, I hope you're feeling snappy. Actually, that's a very obscure reference because that was a song that he stopped singing. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was his earlier exit song. I hope you're feeling snappy. It's really wrong. But actually, he calls back snappy again in the, 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 the exit song that he wound up with where he says we'll make a snappy new day oh so he sort of is like nodding to it with being nodding to it exactly yeah i know a lot about mr rogers you know a lot yeah and so if you drive by mitch you can also find other information about mr rogers (laughs) or pull up the wikipedia (laughs) yeah that's an easy way that's the easier way thanks again mitch thanks Thanks again to Mitch McGee for stopping by and, you know, being a good neighbor, as Fred Rogers was to us all until he passed. And we miss you, Mr. Rogers. Um, Thanks to everybody who's listening. There's a squirrel. There's a squirrel. Oh, my God. There was a squirrel right outside, and it was threatening us, and I had to respond. I apologize to listeners, but there was a squirrel attack, okay? <laughs> you were just, you're a part of it. My wife is now here. It's an intense situation. Meryl, is, Meryl my wife, is bleeding. That's not true. Um, but I got the f- squirrel away. This is, what a moment. What a moment in It's That Episode history. Nothing like that's ever happened. Um, thanks so much for listening. Thanks especially to L Train in the Vein. Oh, L Train in Vain, Shane Crew, and Anastasia Sunshine, who all left uh, five star reviews and used the word adios and or and or the use the word duty. Um, if you use the word duty or adios in your five star review, I'm going to mention your name. So thanks again, L Train in Vain, Shane Crew, and Anastasia Sunshine. You guys are debomb.com, um, and you're much better than that squirrel that tried to get into our plants. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next time. Have a great night and an early manana. Adios. 
amigos. That was a HeadGum Podcast.